I can't even describe the weight that lifted off. And I didn't even know fully in the moment how, how beautiful that was until, you know, months later when I'm, I'm living differently, I'm, I'm smiling at strangers. I'm treating people differently because I'm treating myself differently. I'm, I'm lacking in judgment for my own life. And so I'm not judging other people anymore. It's like, there are so many things that were really a, a, outpouring of what freedom really looks like that the gospel actually uh, offers his healing his peace that passes all understanding I and mean, it's like it was so beautiful and I like to describe it as you know I didn't even have any buttons to push anymore because I didn't even have a dashboard it's like when that healing happened it just it transformed from the inside out feel stuck or trapped in unhealthy patterns and behaviors? Are you in a season of feeling very discouraged and depressed? Like who isn't in these times? I want to introduce Tasha Layton as my guest today, who's going to speak into your heart about the journey she's been through from dark, dark depression and being lost to finding her way through and now having a book, Boundless, Moving from Freedom. From your head into your heart. Tasha, welcome. Hello. Thanks for Hello. having me. Thank you for being here. Well, you were named one of the top five female vocalists of the year 2020, and I think 2021, if I'm not mistaken, weren't you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's I try, that's I, great. I try not to uh, get too involved in looking at stats and numbers and kind of what's, you know, I just feel like um, you can get distracted by all that stuff. And so I do know that in 2020, that was the case because someone told me and showed me, <laughs> but um, I don't know about 2021. So, Well, someone who has achieved so much like that, being a very successful artist in singing and traveling with Katy Perry before that, I would never imagine a season of darkness or a time where you are really discouraged. So why don't we start by taking us back, back yeah. to that place where you were? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't think that I even knew that I was in a dark place. Um, I thought for, for a while as a child, I think I felt some conflict in my heart, but I wasn't sure what that was. Um, I grew up in a Christian home in South Carolina and, you know, my parents took us to church every week. They would have done anything for anybody. Um, you know, I, I definitely had a great experience for the most part as a child, but what I knew of religion and God and all of that was just a hard pew and frilly socks that itched and being told to be <laughs> yeah. quiet. Got it. Um, and so it wasn't until I was eight or nine, we switched churches and I walked in and I just experienced the presence of God for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that moment of um, just sensing that there was something very real and very much larger than me and uh, just the presence of God. And so yeah. I became very hungry to know scripture and um, I was there every time the doors were opened. I was at uh, all the missions trips for church. I joined the youth worship team. Um, I was at every Tuesday night prayer meeting. And uh, 
just, you know, I knew that I just love God and I wanted to know more about God. And that made it all the more painful when I was really wounded in church um, by a church leader. And I didn't have the tools to process all of that. My family left the church. They didn't really go back after that. Um, the church split, uh, the leadership went on to a couple of other churches and those church split as well. It was just really toxic and really unhealthy. And, um, I didn't know that one of the leaders was struggling with mental illness and, um, I just wanted their approval. You know, it was just like it, everything about the situation was really tough. And at the end of all that, I thought, you know what? I need to know that I believe in what I believe in because I believe it, not because someone's told me or I've experienced any kind of emotional high. And so I went searching. At that point, I was in college and I went to a uh, Buddhist meditation camp and synagogue and mosque and, um, I just did everything I could do to find truth because I thought, you know what? I really do believe that all truth is God's truth. And if I keep searching, I'll, I'll find it. And so, um, unfortunately, though, I think that search coupled with really humanistic philosophy I was getting in college, uh, coupled with isolation from being not in a church family and um, away from friends and family, I think that was just a recipe for disaster. And so well, I, tried yeah. to take, I tried to take my life. And yeah, I want to just... touch on that because that, that was a profound part of your story at the beginning of, of the journal of the book. Um, let's go back though. You walked into the church you, at eight or nine years old. You're feeling this wonderful comfort from God, but then you have such toxicity. That's that's a huge conflict right there. So of course yeah. you went searching. One of the things that you said that I thought was profound is when you went off to college, I hoped that leaving for college would bring relief, but early into my freshman year, I realized I was severely depressed. I hid and acted like everything was all right leading me into deeper and deeper isolation. I stopped going to church. I lost confidence in my Christian beliefs. I questioned God. There were accusations in my head screaming, what is wrong with you? You are disgusting. So your self-talk was so very yeah. harsh. I lifted the gun to my head. I pressed the barrel to my temple, slowly squeezing, feeling the growing tension of the trigger on my index finger. It was halfway compressed, I thought, at any moment. Without warning, the room door burst open. I thought I locked it. I released the trigger and turned around to see my friend rushing to me. I put the gun down. I burst into tears. Tasha, those are, uh, you were half, like, um, half a second from death. Yeah. It was so dark. Can you speak into that for those who are there right now? Oh, uh, it was hard to write that and it's hard to hear it. I think that's the first time I've ever heard someone read it. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't think I, I didn't feel like I had a choice. I, I think I had tried everything I knew to try. I'd been to counseling. I had, um, studied psychology. I had read self-help books. I had gone to church. I had tried other religions. I didn't I didn't know what was going to help me feel free. And I think I just thought no one will miss me 
um, you know, the enemy of our, of our lives is not strong enough to destroy us. We are made in the image of God. If he can get us to believe a lie, we are powerful and will self-destruct. And so the lies that I had believed, even from childhood, um, yes, I had wounding from the church. Absolutely. Yes, that drove me to feel as if, you know, am I crazy? Is there something wrong with me? Um, but also I had, you know, I was living or seeing those things through the lens of lies from earlier in life. And so I had to sort of get to the bottom of things, but that's kind of later. Once, once I tried to take my life in that moment that you just described, I, I realized I need, I need some help. And so I went down to a former youth pastor's house and just rested. I just, um, they just loved on me. I didn't have any sort of like, uh, suddenly the clouds part and the sun is bright yeah. and you're, you're all better. It was just, you were resting. Yeah. I just let them love on me and I just tried to exist. I was pretty catatonic actually. I didn't talk much. I didn't move much. I was just really catatonic. And um, so at the end of that though, I, I had a mind shift and I thought, you know what? I know that, that in all these other religions, you're trying to strive to reach God. You're striving to reach enlightenment. You're trying to be good enough. And even in the religious spirit of Christianity, you're trying to earn, earn God's grace. And I was, I was trying to be a good enough Christian to earn God's grace. I was trying to cross every T and dot every I. And, and that, you did. And, I mean, you, yeah. had, you, you did, you searched it, you searched, you read, you studied, you did everything to reach up, but you were exhausted. Yeah, it, it is exhausting. And self-protection is exhausting. I was protecting myself. And the reason that I didn't share any of this with anybody was because I was mad at myself for not being a strong enough Christian to just handle it. Like, do I not believe the gospel? Like, I knew in my head what I needed to be doing or, or what I needed to be feeling, um, but I didn't feel it. I didn't feel free. I, I knew it in my head, but I didn't feel it in my heart. And so... At that lowest of low, though, I, I just decided to go back to church. And I was like, whether I feel it or not, I'm just going to go and I'm going to force myself. So about a year, I just I went, I drove an hour and a half one way where no one knew me. And I just went. And after about a year, the pastor said, you know what, if you want to touch from God, why don't you come up at the end of service and we want to pray for you. And I was the first one up. And I left three hours later, I was just a sobbing mess on the ground. And uh, that was such an altar moment in my life. And I decided, you know what, I need to, I need to stop running. Because even, even though I was going to church physically, I was running emotionally from my pain and from what I believed God was trying to tell me to do, you know. Um, and you I had a lot called... to run too. You had yeah. a lot to run too. You were singing, you were involved. So those distractions covered that vacancy that was so deep-seated inside. Yeah, and I just, uh, I just thought, you know what? I was called to ministry when I was 13 at a youth conference down in Florida, and I decided to go to seminary, and so that's when I moved to California. Um, and I was studying, and I, I did all these things, and it was amazing, and yet I still felt stuck. 
um, I wasn't sure. I'm like, man, I've been a Christian my whole life. I know, I know scripture. I know what the Bible says, and yet I'm not living it. I don't know what's going on. And, um, you know, that abundant life that I heard about all my life. Mm -hmm. That's a, I think that's a huge question that a lot of us ask. Where is this abundant life in the midst of day-to-day I am so depressed. I love what you said a moment ago about mindset, because in the book you talk about, you have a wound. I love that you talk a lot about trauma, not that you endured that or anyone endures it, but that is so pervasive today. And we have a wound that shapes our core beliefs, which is often a lie that we believe that gets put deep seated into our hearts and causes us to form commitments and to make vows. I will never do that. Or I will... I will never let that happen again. I will always, whatever. Then that vow shapes the way, and I love this, we see, experience, and interact with the world. And then when we're bound to the lies, it costs us our true freedom. Now, those are four outstanding points that form our mindset. So take us back to some of those places where there were lies that got you bound that you said, I'm going to make this vow. And then that vow is more of a commitment really to ourselves than it is to, it's the self-protection that you just mentioned. Yeah. So talk us through that. There was a moment, and I I don't share this often, actually. I've only shared it a few times publicly. But when I was living in California and I decided I need, you know, I kind of, I skipped over a little bit of the story, but when I, after seminary and before moving to Nashville, I just really felt like I needed some help processing. Um, and so I went to a place in Colorado and while I was there, I was sitting on a therapist's couch at 30 years old and realizing that there was a moment in my life that was really influential that I didn't put a lot of stock in, Mm. but as I was recounting it to my therapist for the first time in my entire life to anyone, like I'd never told anyone this, what I'm about to tell you, but I had a dream when I was five or six years old that um, someone broke into our house and killed our dog. And Mm -hmm. at five or six years old, I mean, that's a really scary dream. It's like, you don't know why that happened. You're at the age where night terrors are happening. It's like there are plethora, there's a plethora of reasons why that could have happened. And I think as an adult, looking back on it, I realized that's a totally normal thing to have a scary nightmare or, or something happen like that. But I woke up from that dream so frightened. And I thought mm-hmm. I was so scared. I was so, you know, worried. And I woke up and I thought, I will never tell anybody that dream. And the reason I said that was because I thought to have a dream like that, I must be evil. Something must be wrong with me. And so I held that. I took that in and I held that for 25 years. And then I realized sitting on a therapist's couch in Colorado at 30 years old, I realized I have been trying to prove that I'm not evil and that I'm a good person. That's where all my performance-driven personality has come from. I've been trying to prove that I'm good my whole life to God, to other people, to myself, most importantly. And so 
I realized the power that that lie held over my life. And so my therapist took me through that process of saying, okay, where were you? What were you feeling? What was that vow that you made to yourself? And, but then we turn it around and we say, okay, but Jesus, where were you? Where were you when that happened? And we invite him into that memory and say, God, you stand outside of time because you created time. So you were there when it happened, but you're still there. So show me where you were in the room. And I just started to cry because he was sitting on my bed right next to me, waiting to comfort me as I was frightened. And there were so many things that I heard him say in that moment of safety and trust and prayer of, you're not evil. <laughs> you're innocent. You're you're beautiful just the way I created you. And I, I so lovingly heard him speak to me the way I would speak to my little girl or my little boy and loving compassion to know that this is normal. There's nothing wrong with you. This just happens sometimes. And it could have even been the enemy planting a seed in my mind. Um, and so that is where hearing truth straight from the horse's mouth, straight from Jesus it brings freedom that you can work your whole life to achieve and, and try to understand. Well, yeah, just your voice changing as you unfold the story. Um, so often isolation and secrets are seeds by the enemy. And yeah. we feel ashamed to say anything. Like, what will someone think if I tell them that this happened? Um, if that nightmare or even all the way to being abused and any form of abuse. I can't tell anybody that, but that secret then becomes a weed and it yeah. strangles our hearts. Yeah. And so for the first time, the scissors start cutting away the tangled weeds. Now, what was it like to invite Jesus into that space? Talk to us about that. I think I was scared at first. Because I thought, I've tried everything else. And God, will you really show up for me? I believe you can show up for everyone else, but I'm not sure that you'll show up for me. Because I my so self-worth was so damaged and my, my self-image was so damaged already that I, I didn't even know that, that he would heal me. And I was so worried about even inviting him into that moment. But then when I did... And when I experienced that freedom moving from my head to my heart, the truth moving from my head to my heart, I can't even describe the weight that lifted off. And I didn't even know fully in the moment how, how beautiful that was until, you know, months later when I'm, I'm living differently, I'm, I'm smiling at strangers. I'm treating people differently because I'm treating myself differently. I'm I'm lacking in judgment for my own life. And so I'm not judging other people anymore. It's like, there are so many things that, that, you know, were really a, an outpouring of what freedom really looks like that the gospel actually uh, offers God's presence offers and his healing, his peace that passes all understanding. I mean, it's like, it was so beautiful. And I like to describe it as, you know, I didn't even have any buttons to push anymore because I didn't even have a dashboard. It's like when that healing happened, it just, it transformed from the inside out. You talk about timelines in the book as well and how valuable that is. I love the, I love the workbook because you, you give space to the 
to the reader to really process a lot. You have the huge feeling wheel, but also about timelines. Tell me the significance of that for you and how Jesus worked in your heart with that. You can't figure out what the roots are of what you're dealing with until you figure out, um, you know, when it happened, where it happened, how it happened. And sometimes it's harder to access that than you think. We think that things are, um, sometimes the things that we think are really damaging are not that damaging in the long run. And the things that we're not sure about are actually some of the most influential uh, pain that we experience. And so looking back, I think to see it on paper, to write down every single thing in your life that's ever hurt you and in a way that frames it into increments of time so that you can see, because psychologists say our systems are set before we're probably five or six years old. And so it's like, you've got to get back to the root of it. And often it's childhood. And, you know, I think there has been a stigma amongst uh, people of faith that, um, you know, psychologists sort of digging into our childhood and our, our memories and stuff is maybe hogwash <laughs> or something, but I think there's a balance. There's a line to ride. And, and that balance is using some good things we've learned about the brain and memory to get to those things, but then allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work. And I think writing your timeline of your life down and your pain specifically and seeing their trajectory and the changes that happened um, throughout that timeline is really important to healing. That is so significant because just like we put Jesus, the words that Jesus speaks throughout scripture are always in a context. And if it's taken out of that context, mm -hmm. then it's not going to make sense to us. But, yeah. and I love that you quote from the body keeps score, which is an excellent, excellent, excellent yeah. book on trauma. One of the cornerstone books that I have worked through as well. And um, was there a shift even in doing the timelines, writing them down, which is very significant as well? Did you feel a shift in your physical body? I actually felt pain. <laughs> I felt yes. pain and anxiety. Yes. I felt as if it's worse, not better. Yes. writing it all down because I, I was overwhelmed at how many things were actually hurtful over the years that I'd never really dealt with. And so I think by day four of going through the process that I outline in the book, I really felt like giving up. I thought there's no use. This is so bad. And the emotional response that it brings up for you to write all of it down is really, really terrible to be honest. And, uh, but when on day four, we started inviting the Holy Spirit into those memories. Holy cow. <laughs> Everything <laughs> changed. Everything changed. And I started feeling those weights come off. I started feeling my heart. It was like things, like I had a, a hard shell on my heart that was just being peeled off. And um, at the end of that time, I felt so free and so much love from God and so much regret that I didn't do the work earlier. Well, speaking because, of that for yeah. someone who's going through that now, because they may be on a day two, there is a significance within the fourth day. Usually there is a shift, but for that person who's going, this is ridiculous. I have just unearthed hell and I, I don't even want to continue because yeah. it, it does get worse. It's like surgery. 
What would you say to that person on day one or day two? Trust the process. (laughs) I, whenever people have me sign books, I will often write at the very front, trust the process. You did online. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that out of anything, you, you have got to feel like you have got to know that God is in control and that this process is not easy and you're going to want to shove it under the rug. You're going to want to stop. You're going to want to like not talk anymore. You're going to want to be invulnerable again. And I think trusting that it will get better. It's like, it's like a, um, one of those, you know, in the mirror on your car, it says objects in mirror closer than they appear. It's like, your healing and your breakthrough is often closer than you think in the grand scheme of things. Uh, we just, we get hung up in the immediate. And you want to, because of it's so habituated then the defense patterns are that it's easy to want to fall back into, well, you know what, I'm going to just go shop or I'm going to yeah. even be too involved in church doing the right things, but for the wrong motivations. Yeah. And so as you work through that and you had someone present, he would say, where was Jesus? Mm-hmm. And what was that like for you? Because that that's an invitation for Jesus to join you, not you striving to reach him. Yeah, I, I think I wasn't expecting him to say that because I didn't know the process before I was led through it. So in that moment of safety and prayer, when he said, where was Jesus? I think usually I would start crying because I don't think I knew that he was there. I mean, in our heads, you know, God is om- omniscient, uh, you know, that he's everywhere all the time. Uh, but when you see Jesus, mm. whether it's like a knowing, or for me, I have this picture of what he looks like that I don't know if it's right, but that's who I see when I imagine Jesus and when I'm with him. And so when that happens, it's, it's overwhelming. It's like, oh my gosh, you were there. You were there when that happened. And for you to be there brings a safety to a very unsafe situation that I didn't even know. It's like you knew that there was safety and love there, even if you had not experienced it in the moment, in hindsight, you see that it was there. And I I would get sad sometimes when we go through memories, because I would think, oh, I wish I had realized that you were right next to me. That would have made that situation completely different. There are a lot of people that I work with and that uh, reach out to Reframing Ministry who ask that very question, where was Jesus when I had my baby and I was told that my child had disabilities? Where was Jesus when my husband was hitting me? Where was Jesus? How come he didn't stop that? Hmm. What do you say to that? I think there are, obviously you've named two very different situations. And I think that's really indicative that there are so many more different kinds of situations that, um, that are unexplainable in some ways. And then others are really explainable. We live in a fallen world. Evil is a real thing. We make choices as broken people. We make choices to be with people who are broken. Um, 
Sometimes we're victims. Sometimes we are the person um, who is doing the hurting and the wounding. And I think in all of those situations, God is always there. Um, I think in those type of letters or, or calls or whatever that you're getting, it's like people are essentially asking if God is good, why did he allow this to happen? For sure. That is whether, the question. whether it was my choice, because um, sometimes it is your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's my choice or someone else's, or whether it's something that I couldn't have helped at all, whether I was a victim, um, God is still good. And I think instead of asking, you know, where was he, although they do need to ask that question, um, just acknowledging that he's still good, whether bad things happen or not, um, because we do live in a very imperfect world that's hurting and broken. And we don't live in black and white as much as we think. We live in a lot of gray. And that gray is is very painful at times. And so knowing that God is good, despite what we go through, um, that theology and that foundation and knowing from scripture, that will carry us a long way. Um, well, that's the core of the pattern that you said. I mean, if, if there's a wound, if there's... Um, uh, like someone that I talked to recently was assaulted in a, in a bathroom. Mm. And so she decided at that moment, this will never happen to me again. Yeah. And that self-protection went up. And as she has started to work through the process that you outlined so well, that vow has to be broken yeah. Because it's it's a vow to oneself, which then removes Jesus from the throne of our heart and yeah. it puts ourselves on there. So really you're talking about surrender and control. Yeah. And, and it's hard to, to trust God as our protector when we get hurt. It's like, God, if I'm trusting you as my protector, then why did this happen? And again, it's 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 less of a question of whether he was there and more of a question of, is he still good? Like, even though that happened, is he still good? And, you know, there have been moments in my life where I've prayed um, a whole year after I had my son, I prayed for certain things and the exact opposite would happen. And it tested my faith so much, especially because I have so much history with Jesus. I was like, gosh, God, you're really not showing up for me in this way. Like, I don't know what to think about this. This is really challenging for me because I I either, you know, he answers me or he gives me a word to stand on or something. And I I was getting nothing. And I thought, this is so weird for me to have gone through so many years with, with God and in prayer and interceding for other people, interceding for myself and watching him show up and watching him do miracles in my own life and other people's lives. And then now to pray for simple things and they're not happening and you're not you're not answering my prayer. I I think I knew before that, that God wasn't a gumball machine, but I think it really solidified it in my mind that, you know, God's not obligated to to answer any of our prayers. And he never promises that in scripture. (laughs) I mean, we, we want to think he did, but uh, he never promises that we will get everything we pray for or dream about or hope for. He just promises that he'll never leave. That's the only promise. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And eventually throughout that year of me praying and, and that, that tension in my faith of walking through that, even after this process that I outlined in the book, it was like, I needed to just know that he was with me 
whether whether it was hard, whether he answered my prayers or not, just needed to know that he was right by my side. And that changed everything. And I can't even tell you what exactly he did in my heart during that time, but I know he did it. I so get that, um, how you go through this process of healing and you're moving forward and you and your husband marry and he is, he is touched by Jesus miraculously. His back pain goes away. I mean, you saw miracle after miracle. Was it supposed to be able to conceive? You end up being able to get pregnant. So it's so devastating at times when we've been so close to the Lord and then he feels a mile away. And the circumstance you wrote about was the process of the birth of your son, Levi. Tell us us about that because it did cause a huge setback that you had to work through. So back to pregnancy and delivery. When uh, when I had Levi, I had a very traumatic birth with him. And, you know, birth is traumatic anyway. We don't talk about that enough. But, um, you know, I was in, in labor for over 30 some hours. Um, a very complicated. Please tell me you had medicine. <laughs> I did not. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. I did not um, until the very end. And so I was, I was going to have him naturally. And then um, my body, they gave me a choice at the end of 30 some hours, like, okay, you either have a C-section or you have an epidural. And I got the epidural, but then um, I had more complications. I had to push for three and a half hours. It was, I lost a lot of blood. I was injured in the process. Like there were a lot of things that um, were really, really hard. He came out not breathing. He had to be on a cooling pad. Um, You know, you said he was blue. Stripped down to his diaper. He was so cold, shivering. They did that so he wouldn't have seizures. You know, there was a medical reason for everything, but uh, it was it was really hard to watch. I didn't get to hold him really until a week later, and it was just um, there was a lot to that. And I think um, I ended up having to have a surgery two weeks later, and a very very slow recovery. And I should have had a blood transfusion and didn't. It was just I could li- I could go through the whole list, but. All that to say, I was asking God to heal me, to um, to help my baby heal, like uh, help even the months after, like he had reflux and um, a lip tie that made breastfeeding difficult. And I was just asking God to help me along with little things like just life stuff. Like, can you, can you help, help him eat? You know, yeah, like um, just random things. And it was like the exact opposite would happen. Even if I said, Lord, if I prayed scriptures over him about rest and sleep. And I mean, we all know that newborns, I mean, the sleep is like crazy. Anyway. But <laughs> Do they uh, sleep actually? Yeah. But <laughs> Especially when was, with reflux. I know. When he was needing to sleep, he couldn't because of reflux and the medicine mm-hmm. wasn't working. And I cut out things from my diet for him. And it was just like one thing right after another. And God just wasn't answering any of my prayers. And so um, at the end of that whole first year, I I was just beaten down. And I thought, gosh, being in a lot of pain really causes you to think differently about a lot of things. Like um, when you're in constant pain and underslept, it's like it changes who you are. And Um, I think I lived in that place for so long. And even then I was asking God to help me like, God, help me, you know, 
have your peace and have the fruits of the spirit. And I was praying scripture over my life and none of it was happening. (laughs) So where was that transition? I love that you said in the book, I I didn't even realize how far I had come. I I had moved away from God, just trying to survive. I just stopped praying because I thought it's not working. And at the end of the day, it's hurting me because I'm praying and it's not happening. So then I'm getting sad or hurt or bitter from God. And I was like, so I'm like, I'm just not going to pray. I'm going to lower my expectations, which is exactly the wrong thing I needed to do. But um, I needed to learn that lesson on a different level. And um, so, yeah. One of the things that you said, um, you go, the strange part of an internal healing is the more you are grown by God, the more aware you become of how much growth is needed. That is why continued humility is an essential part of the ongoing internal process. Yeah. And it sounds like that year was just, you'd come off this high of, of so many wonderful things with the Lord and then, then bam, a yeah. year with your son. And I don't think there's anything that tugs on a mom's heart more than her child not doing well. Yeah. Now, how how is Levi doing now? Oh, he's so great. (laughs) He is so great. He's full of himself. And uh, (laughs) now, you know, Lila, they, uh, my little, little girl, they just, they fight like brother and sister. And um, it's just, but they also love each other so much. And it's so cute. And Keith and I, my husband, uh, sat here this morning with our kids for like 15 minutes. And Keith looks over and he's like, this is one of the best days of my life because just how precious they were being in that moment as family, it was so sweet. And, um, you know, I, I think over the years, there've been seasons in my life where I have really healed a lot from things and I've learned a lot and all of that. But I think the more mature, like you, like you just quoted me from the book, the more mature and the more you grow, the more you heal, the more you realize you need to, and that there's always something, there's always more, there's always more you could look like Christ. And I think, you know, especially for people who, um, it's almost like, you know, in our culture, uh, we have a lot of division and. You're kidding. We're, <laughs> you think? <laughs> we have a lot of division. And I think it's from people thinking that they know best. Hmm. And I don't fault them in some ways because I know, you know, I respect their opinions and all of that. But it does seem narrow-minded and ignorant a lot of times because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And sure. uh, the more, you know, you learn about some things, the more you realize there's a lot more to learn. And so... I think you just have to stay in that place because otherwise, you know, the Bible says pride comes before a fall. And the minute you think you have it figured out is like, you know, my book, there's a lot of truth in there. There's a lot of wisdom, not just for me, but people that I've interviewed and books that I've read and all that. I researched so much for the book. Mm -hmm. And yet um, that's just one facet. That's just one sliver of how God heals and what he does. Do I think it's like, a great way. Yes. <laughs> but is it the only way? No. And I think when we think, you know, we've got to figure it out in any area, we're really kind of preceding a fall. Yeah. There's something about suffering that, that, that is part of, that has to be part of the journey because that puts us in our place Yeah, and that, that allows us 
well, hopefully to get to the point of, oh, I'm not God and I have no clue what he's up to. But going back to what you said, your theology, the foundation, God, Mm -hmm. I believe you're good. God, I believe you're sovereign. God, I believe you are with me and present. And your question is wonderful. Just show me where you are as Mm -hmm. you sat in the NICU unit. Where are you in this, God? How did you finally, after that first year, bring resolve? Or how did God provide that for you? I think I went back through my process that I wrote in the book. And I said, God, where are you? And I think I went back to as many instances as I could to understand where he was. And as he kept showing me, um, I don't, again, I don't know all that he did to bring resolution. It was one of those things where um, maybe, maybe years to come, I'll know details, but I just know my heart changed. Like something about that, I, I my heart changed and I felt his presence and I thought, gosh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so Mm -hmm. sorry for pushing you away and uh, not having the right expectations. And um, I just asked for forgiveness and I just kept on trucking and something just shifted. Uh, Something you said just now is really important. Like, you know, faith is the evidence of things unseen Mm -hmm. and the substance of things hoped for. And it's like, when you know that God is good in your faith, doesn't matter if he's showing that when you can't see his hand working, you trust his heart. Right. You just know who he is and you believe that whether you can see it or not. Right. Now, after here we are this morning, you and Keith having that time together, loving on your kids. You are so into doing beautiful, beautiful music. How different is it now? doing music and, and providing your heart through your voice versus what it would have been before? Oh, it's, it's completely different. Like I, I have something to say that comes from such a deep well now. I I feel like as a minister, as a pastor, as someone who helps people, it doesn't matter your role. You need kind of that fresh rain of the Holy spirit, but you also need a deep well to draw from. And that's, knowing scripture, having history with God and experience and all that. And I think uh, all of that pain has given me a a deep well and doesn't mean I don't need the fresh rain because I do. Um, But there's an element of drawing from the fact that, hey, I know God's going to show up. I know he's not going to leave me high and dry because he never has. And even though there's been pain along the way and suffering throughout the years, um, in hindsight, I can see how he was even, he wasn't wasting anything. He was using it to shape me to do what I do now. So it's like, gosh, I I don't have any regrets and I have a lot of hope for the future knowing that he's been faithful thus far. Yeah. So as we wrap up, what are, what's the project that you're working on now? And, um, how, how can you speak into, or what would you say to the person who is going to step into the process that you outline in the book, where you invite Jesus into that space? I think, you know, well, first off, I, uh, I am coming out with a Christmas record this year, which I'm super excited about. And then I have another book coming out in March and it's the book I started before I started Boundless. Um, it's sort of a, a short story devotional type book. 
um, with some psychology, self-help and scripture and prayer all mixed in kind of like an, a Christian eat, pray, love, but, um, Mm -hmm. I'm super excited about that. But as far as someone who is, is considering going through this process or is right in one of the steps, I would say just, man, keep going. Just try it. Just try to give God everything you can give him and surrender everything you can because he won't leave you hanging. He won't. And it won't be like this forever. If you hand it over to him, he is a way maker. He is a miracle worker and a promise keeper, and he will do amazing things in your life. And it says in scripture, he's made all things beautiful in their time. And I think um, that's really true that if, if you surrender and give it to him, he will make it beautiful in time. Hmm. Well, he certainly has made you beautiful. And you have a beautiful heart. And now that I know you have another book coming out, I hope you'll come back and be a guest again. Yeah, I'd love to. to. Talk about that. I'd love to. Well, how can people find you? I looked at your schedule. You're you're getting ready to tour all over the place. Yeah, it's it's we're coming up on some intense uh, (laughs) intense months, (laughs) but um, just TashaLayton.com is the website, and then Instagram's TashaLayton, Facebook's TashaLayton. It's all out there. So. Well, your music is wonderful. It's full of soul. It's full of Jesus. And as as those who are watching, um, just listen to some of Tasha's work and the Holy Spirit will move, I promise. (laughs) Thank you for your time, for your work, and all the behind the scenes, the years of processing that. What the enemy wanted to destroy, he has has not. That's right. made more beautiful. Yes. Thank you, Colleen. All right. Thank you so much for your time.